Hey, good morning. I'm Pastor Tony of Elevation Church. Typically, you'd be watching our live stream right now. It'd be starting, but our church is doing something that we do every year this time of the year. Uh, we're going out in the community and serving, and it's always an exciting time because we impact lives outside of the four walls of this building. So that's a good thing, but I want to do something special for you. And so uh, today, we're going to take you back to a message that I preached on Easter Sunday, and it has a lot of relevance for your life right now. So, so just sit back, enjoy this message, and, and take notes, and let God do something in your life today. I'm excited that we're here today on this day celebrating Easter, what we call Easter Resurrection Sunday. Anybody excited with me? Say yes. Yeah. Appreciate our team just just taking us to this place because you know you're in a you're in a very safe place right now, but also a very dangerous place. You're in you're in you're seated in the presence of God, and all kinds of things can happen in our life when that happens. How many know that? Yeah, we're, we're celebrating the the most remembered death of all time. Nobody else gets the attention their death that Jesus does. And by the way, we're also celebrating today the resurrection, and nobody has a holiday for their resurrection. Anybody with me? Right? I, I think that it's so important when we see Jesus for who he is. I mean, he just, he outlasted, outwitted, outmaneuvered every other person, every other group, every other power. But most of all, he outloved everybody else, didn't he? He outloved everybody else. And I want to speak for a few moments this morning uh, to everybody in the room. And so if you thought, hey, I'm just going to come and get my, get my phone out and check out, I'm talking to you today. <laughs> talking, I'm, talk, I'm talking to the Jesus follower, the person who says, I'm a Christian, I want Jesus in my life. I'm talking to you. You should be encouraged today by what I say. Talking to the person that's kind of on the fence about Jesus. You really, you really are, are leaning that way, but then you just don't know, and you know probably something's going to change in your life, and you don't know if you want that, or you know that it's, it's a big step, and you're just kind of on the fence. I'm talking to you today that maybe this will just enlighten you, inspire you to go ahead and make the plunge and move on. In fact, right now, as I'm, as I'm speaking, there's people praying for you. Even in this room, people are going to be praying for you throughout this time. Talking to the person that's here today that you love Jesus, but you just, his church, I mean, you got wounded, you got hurt, you just don't know about the church, you don't know about its relevance in your life, I'm, I'm talking to you today. I'm talking to the person that you really are just here because. Somebody said, we're going to church Easter, and you got, and got pulled into the mess. You got roped into it. You'd rather be home sleeping You'd rather be home doing any, watching the paint dry. I mean, you're just here. And if you, don't, if you don't hear anything else, I say, listen to this. If you'll do this, it's going to help you. Listen to me right now, those that I've just talked about. Hear what I say. You are not here on accident. It's not a coincidence that you're, coincidence that you're seated in this place today. You need to listen really close to what I say because this could be transformational in your life. And I'm speaking to our online audience I know a lot of you, you're still there, but a lot of you that normally are there were here today. Thank you for being here. But I'm also speaking to those of you that are watching us online. Share this with somebody, and because and somebody you know needs this message. It's the greatest story ever told. There's never, ever been any story that comes close. All others pale in comparison to the great story of Jesus. I mean, his birth, I said his death and his resurrection. His birth, most celebrated birthday party of anybody in world history. 
They do it all over the world. Are you with me? Some of you do it for two months, man. You got the decorations up celebrating his birthday. Right? There's no other like it. His life, his ministry, he taught. They'd never, ever heard anyone teach like him. He taught as one having authority. He taught them things in ways and manners that they'd never, ever thought about, ideologies that they'd never grasped in their entire lifetime. In the history of the world, Jesus taught things. The miracles. I mean, when I read about the miracles, it just like, I get excited. I would have loved to have been there on the day when the guy that was carried by four other friends and they tore the roof out and lowered him down, got up and walked. Wouldn't it be exciting? Some of you say, I don't know that story. Well, that'll be another Sunday. You can come back and hear that story. I'm just telling you. Or the day, here's one, the day that David stepped out onto the, onto the field with, with, with the stone in his hand. I believe it was Jesus that got in the mix of those things. I'm just saying the miracles of Jesus are beyond anything that we uh, tend to grasp. But the one thing I want to specifically talk about today is his resurrection. His resurrection. It's Easter Sunday. It's resurrection day, right? And the question I want to ask you is, do you know about the resurrection? Now, I know that you could tell me, well, sure, I know about the resurrection. That's why we're here. You've heard you talk about it already. I've heard us sing about it, I, the resurrection, or I know the story. Or, but here's what I think. Most people know a lot about the birth story. Right? We know the wise men. We know the star. We know the shepherds. We know the manger. We know all the things around that. But when it comes to the resurrection, I don't always know, even people that follow Jesus, if they quite grasp all that there is with the resurrection. And by the way, I may take a few minutes. I won't get to all of it today. But I do want to help us understand resurrection. Check this out. There's four, four uh, stories, narratives of Jesus' life, biographies, biographies, if you will, four of them. And in those four stories, the majority of the story about his life is the final week. In fact, the, the writers of those gospel stories, the good news stories, thought that it was important, that this was the, the, the kind of uh, significant time that they need to spend their, their writing on. Because biographies usually don't do that. Biographies outline the history of a life. They don't give the majority of the, of the, the book to the final week of the person, Right? And so, but, but these gospel writers do because they felt such valuable importance placed on that. Because if you can understand that, that, that different than Buddhism or, or Islam or Confucian, uh, any other religion or even atheism, that all kind of evolved and developed and progressed, Christians hang their entire faith on one event, one moment. It's all on the resurrection. Everything's dependent on the resurrection, and they understood that. And so, so uh, there's all four Gospels included as they tell the story. I'm going to pick it up. I felt led to just spend some time in John chapter 20 this morning, picking up with the first verse. If you have a Bible or a mobile device, you can follow along. If not, we'll have the words there on the screen for you. It says, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, so Peter and most likely John here, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out 
and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together. They're running. This is big news, right? This is unexpected news. And the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there as well. And he also saw the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Jesus wanted to let them know this was intentional, right? He's coming back. Verse number eight. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also. Oh, we've already been there. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Go back. Eight. And we go, the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed, for as they yet did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Now, you think about these disciples. They've been following Jesus three years. They've been with him. They've learned so much. They, they, they've, they've been on this journey of discipleship, and, and their whole view has been changed. But yet, on this important event, you would think that they would know what this is, and they don't. They don't have the context for it. They don't even know the scripture. They don't know Psalm 1610 that says, For I will not leave my soul, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You won't leave me in the grave. You won't leave me in hell, is what he was saying. But you're not, and you're not going to allow your Holy One to see corruption. They didn't know that verse. They didn't, they didn't connect that with Jesus. And so they didn't know. If you'd asked them, do you know about the resurrection? Right? They would know the body's missing. We, we, we read that and we get a little excited because they're running, because they're believing. I want to give you a little insight on that. Maybe that's not necessarily the case. In fact, the other, one of the other gospel writers, Luke, in chapter 24 of Luke, when the women get there to the disciples, it says this, that after their words, and their words seemed to seem like idle tells, and they did not believe them. They, that when they heard what the ladies brought, the news, they were the first to the tomb, they didn't believe it. You'd think Jesus' disciples would have believed it. They, they didn't believe it, and then they ran to find out what's going on, what's happened. Have the Romans taken the body? Has, someone, has, it, has his body been stolen? What, what has happened here? Now, it's important. I'm going to spend a little time here building, building some, um, some knowledge base for you before we dig into some of the things we're going to preach about, and, and it's this. It's important for us to understand first century resurrection, first century life. You see, when it came to death, just like most of the world today, they were a little worried and concerned about death. They were somewhat troubled about death. There were was, there was many that thought death was like, like uh, putting out a candle, right, that, that you're here and then you're gone. In fact, there was one um, epitaph writing that went on tombstones. It was very popular both in Latin and Greek, and it said this, I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. But they didn't think there's anything else. And so, so they would say, you're right, it sounds very cheery, doesn't it? Like you see grandma's tombstone, they put little praying hands, and it says, I was not, I was, I am not, I don't care. Because they didn't have a, necessarily many didn't have a belief of anything beyond. Some believed in this kind of underworld called Hades. It was kind of shady and some shadow existence would happen, but that there was no real life or resurrection that would happen. But the Jews, Jews had at least a, a big segment of the Jews had this idea that 
that there was a resurrection coming. There was a resurrection, and it wasn't, though it wasn't like one person resurrected, but that one day God was going to take the pain and the suffering and the evil of this world, and then he was going to write that. He was going to, it was going to be the God-ordered design, right, the righteous plans that God had, and the world would be restored, in this re- and then the righteous people would be resurrected to enjoy that time. Everybody that was righteous would be resurrected. That was their understanding. So when you told them, Jesus is resurrected, well, that's a troubling thing. Because they didn't have a context for one person being resurrected. They thought at the end of history someday there'd be this great resurrection, that everybody would enjoy it, that everybody that was righteous would, would be there. But to tell them that one person resurrected, that's a little bit struggling. It'd be like tomorrow, there's a big basketball game here, right? Championship NCAA game. Final four, it's a final game of 64, 68 teams that started three, three weeks ago. Now they're down to the final game, Gonzaga and Baylor. Who are you rooting for? Baylor, okay. But just, let's just pretend that the, that the headline on Tuesday morning, headline, is there newspaper still? <laughs> that people are all talking about how that Jalen of Gonzaga, the guard, won the championship game. And that's all they talked about. Not Gonzaga, just Jalen. Jalen Suggs, that he, that, he, that he won it. Now, now here's what we do. If, you know, if you know anything about basketball, you don't have to know much. If you know a little bit, it's a team sport. That to say one guy won it, well, that's ridiculous. One guy couldn't win it. That he just went out there and won it by himself. Even Michael Jordan, who, who it's, 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 it's argued the greatest basketball player of all time. I'm not getting into that argument today. <laughs> you know, Kareem got six, six rings too. And nobody puts him in the conversation. But, but, but even the most incredible star player doesn't win the game on his own. Jordan might score over 40 points, but he still needed the team. And when we think about Jesus in the first century and resurrection, there was no context that one guy would resurrect and that he would then be in a place to say resurrections occurred and it was just Jesus. But Jesus breaks all the rules, doesn't he? I mean, he didn't break the law, but he breaks the preconceived ideas of mankind, the traditions and the stuff that people thought ought to happen. He just breaks it in his life, in his ministry, with the miracles that he did, and he does it even in his death and resurrection. The rules are that everybody gets to resurrect that is righteous at the end of, end of history. Instead, Jesus steps in the middle of history. We split it in half over his death and his birth. And, and here's what he does. He resurrects. He resurrects. And I think, you know, the power of this is so, because they eventually get it. They eventually get it, right? Because if you think about this, you could, you could read in John chapter 20. You could read it later today. Verse 19. I believe it's verse 19. It says they were behind locked doors, hiding. Why? Because they didn't know if the Romans coming after them next. Right? This wasn't a game plan. This isn't what, this not, this isn't what we were going to do. They just killed the guy we're following. He's been executed on a cross. It's been horrendous. We saw him get beat. We were scattered. Now we're gathered back again, and we're afraid. Disillusioned, depressed, discouraged. 
dispirited, hiding. And then it seems like suddenly, everybody say suddenly. And then suddenly they weren't anymore. Suddenly they had this bold courage and confidence to not, to not only believe the resurrection, but they were motivated to go spread it, even at the cost of their own lives. And we do this sometimes. We look back at some time in history, and we think, well, you know, those people, they just they didn't have science, and they didn't know stuff, and this is the way it probably was, and, you know, uh, they, were just, they were less than us. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. That we think somehow they weren't smart. They weren't stupid. They knew when you're dead, you're dead. Heard a story years ago about a lady who had a German shepherd. Which you know, that's the best dog you could ever have. She had this German shepherd, and her and her neighbor had been into it and had problems and stuff and struggles. And, and one day she looked out her back window, and the German shepherd had the neighbor's rabbit and was just shaking it to death. Yeah. So the lady sees it. She runs out because you know this is going to be big problems now. She gets her broom. She's like beating, pummeling the, the German shepherd with the broom, gets the rabbit out of its mouth, takes it inside, washes its fur, blow dries its hair, combs it all out. And then she takes the dead rabbit and sets it up, sneaks in the, the neighbor's yard into the rabbit uh, cage, sets it at the back of the, 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 the wall of the rabbit cage, Props it up and then scurries back over to her yard, hoping that they won't know what her dog's done. Not too long after that, she hears screams coming from the neighbor's yard. She, she walks out and acting like she doesn't know anything. She walks out, and the neighbor said, she said, what's wrong? She said, my rabbit, our rabbit. It died two weeks ago, and we buried it, and now it's back in his cage. You see, we know dead rabbits stay dead. And guess what? In the first century, they knew that dead rabbits stay dead, that dead people stay dead. In fact, uh, N.T. Wright, the great New Testament scholar, he says this, there were many messianic movements in the first century. In every case, the would-be Messiah got crucified by Rome as Jesus did. Not in one single case do we hear the slightest mention of the disappointed followers claiming their hero had been raised from the dead they knew better they knew better in fact here's what the, here's what they knew here's what would happen if you were following a would-be messiah and he was crucified or executed what you would do is you just disband and not be following him anymore because he was dead or you go find a new would-be messiah and follow him but not so with jesus People understood when you die, you die, and their context for resurrection was for the righteous resurrection at the end of history. Not one man. But how did the disciples get there? And how do we, how do we this morning kind of grasp this? Well, number one, I think there's, there's, there's several, but I'll give you two right now. There, there's, there's this problem because witnesses saw the empty tomb. Witnesses saw the empty tomb. And secondly, Jesus appeared to his followers. If you have one of those, it's not a problem, right? If you have an empty tomb, well, you just got an empty tomb. Grave robbery. Somebody's taking the body, right? Something's went wrong. 
Right? We, we can, if, 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 there's, if there's no Jesus appearing and it's only an empty tomb, well, it's just an empty tomb. What's that matter? Right? Somebody stole the body. Romans came and got it. They're going to hide it so that didn't become a shrine to him. It's easy to explain. Or if you just have, if you, if you don't have an empty tomb and you just have Jesus appearing to his followers, well, then you would say, well, those people are really kind of cuckoo. They're hallucinating that they're seeing Jesus, and it's weird because the body's in the tomb. So you could make an argument if it's only one. But if it's both, if the tomb is empty and there's no body, and believe me, if the Roman government could have produced a body, they would have produced a body. They didn't want people following him. They couldn't find his body because his body wasn't anywhere to be found. He, he, he was, uh, overcame death, right? And, and so there's an empty tomb, and also he's appearing to people. And Paul, the Apostle Paul said he appeared to Peter and to his other, all the other disciples, and to, and to at some point 500 people witnessed Jesus back from the dead. Another, another reason why that you can look at the resurrection and understand that it's important and why, why they could believe it is, um, I'm sorry, ladies, but let me tell you about first century, the way women were viewed. Women were less than. They, they weren't looked upon as even a credible witness. In fact, if you murdered somebody and, and, and a woman saw it and she's, she went to the stand and testified, I saw that guy murder that person, he's probably going to go scot-free because woman was, a woman in that day wasn't a reliable testimony. So if you're making up a story and you're trying to scam people, don't have women to be the first ones to the tomb. That wouldn't be very smart. That's, how you, that's one of the reasons you know it's true, because if you were making that up, you'd have men show up first who'd be a credible witness. No, because they weren't making it up. Women were the first ones there. Don't you love it that Jesus loves you, ladies? He lets you be first. Yeah, I could spend a lot of time helping you to understand the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, and the proof of the resurrection. Let me also tell you this this morning. That let me, let me get in your shoes. You may be saying, Pastor Tony, man, that's great. That's wonderful. Thank you. But how does that impact my life today? In 2021, 2,000 years after this happened, how does that impact my life today? I want to tell you. Can we take a few minutes this morning and just dig into that part? Right? The resurrection, how does it impact my life? What does it mean for my life? Well, I think you have to understand this. There's a progression in everything that we do, and especially when I embrace a new idea. Right? It starts with knowing, then it goes to understanding, and then it goes to embracing. My, my, uh, my uh, granddaughters, I got a five-year-old, soon to be three-year-old, and then about a six-month-old. So it's like I'm living the high life, guys. I'm just telling you. You know grandchildren are the reward for not killing your kids. <laughs> now, now I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. If you do have a young baby and uh, you want to dedicate that baby to the Lord, we're doing it on Mother's Day. Make sure you, you let them know out at the, the, the uh, tent outside that you want to be part of that. But, but I, just, I just know this, that with, with Sophia is the oldest one. Um, we've got to this thing where we... I mean, I just, I like to, I like to have fun with them. I, I do magic tricks. I don't know magic, but with little kids, I feel like I'm like, you know, David Copperfield or something like, like illusions. I'm like, I'm, I am extraordinary. If it was just little kids, I could book a theater in Vegas and have it filled every day. <laughs> so I got some little tricks I can do and they're all mesmerized and it's fun. But, but we started playing tic-tac-toe, Sophia and I did a while back. 
And we played on paper and played on paper and played on paper. Finally, at Christmas time, I got an actual tic-tac-toe board, movable X's and O's. It's a lot of fun. So when Sophia's over, she wants to play. Now, she was like undefeated, 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 like 2,000 games. Until one time we were playing, after we played like five or six, I just wasn't thinking, and I beat her. It was heartbreaking. We almost had to have prayer meeting just to get her, get her through the, because she loved the thrill of victory, but the agony of defeat was tough on her. And so what we did was I helped her to learn a process, right? She, 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 she knew tic-tac-toe, but I wanted her to understand, Sophie, here's, how you, here's, here's where you went wrong. When you put your piece here, then I put mine here, and you lost. And that's the way it works. So when you never put your, never when you see this, do this, right? And I showed her how to do, don't put your, she always wants to be X. She understands that part about the game, right? So she's embraced it now. So when we play now, it's like, oh, she calls me GT. She said, okay, GT, you're going down. Like a five-year-old tells you that with attitude. I mean, you're like, right? So, so, she, so, so the knowing part she got, the understanding right, how to play the game, and then embraced, okay, I want to win this game. I want to win at this. And I think when it comes to the resurrection, that's what we have to understand is that it's this progression of knowing, of understanding, of embracing what resurrection means in my life. And so if you're, right, if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Knowing Knowing to trust God in what's next, not what it, just what could have been. You think about the disciples. Um, they, had, they had big plans. In fact, there was one place when uh, the mother of James and John, his disciples, wife of Zebedee, she went to Jesus said, hey, can you make sure that my sons you know, get the right and left-hand place in your kingdom? So, so when you take over and kick the Romans out and you, and you start ruling, can you make sure that they get a spot in the leadership? In fact, last Sunday, we celebrated Palm Sunday here, as well as um, hundreds of thousands of churches across the world. Um, we celebrated the event when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and they're waving palm branches, and they're yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king, blessed is who came, comes in the name of the Lord. They're literally saying, save now. Get on the throne now. We're excited that you're here. Now everything's going to change. That was the game plan. In fact, if you knocked on that door where the disciples are hiding that I mentioned earlier, after Jesus has died, you said, hey, hey, guys, is everything going according to plan? They would have said, no way. We weren't planning on him dying. Jesus came planning on dying. He tried to tell them what was going to happen. At one point, Peter even rebuked him and said, no, you're not going to die. I'm not going to let you die. Right? The, the whole idea of, of Jesus and what he's going to do for them meant that he was going to, right now, take power and authority. It wasn't the plan that he would die. And now they're huddled up. They're concerned. They're worried because what they thought was going to happen, what could have been didn't, and now they don't know what's next. Book of Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Now here's what you got to understand is that, is that trusting in the Lord sounds so good. 
Let's trust in the Lord. That's an upbeat kind of message. Trust in the Lord. Somebody's having problems, trust in the Lord. Somebody's in a difficult place, trust in the Lord. But here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the kicker. The next line says, and lean not to your own understanding. Because all of us want to do this. Our tendency, our inclination is to lean into what we understand, what we know. What you understand is what you've experienced, what you've went through, what you've lived through, what you know works, what you know doesn't. That's your understanding. And what God is saying is, leave that understanding and put your trust in me. Right? The problem with next is, next looks uncomfortable because it doesn't look like what we've had in the past. The problem with next is, next sometimes looks unfamiliar. It doesn't look like the familiar that we had in the past. Next looks like it's going to cause me to be stretched, and for that reason, I hang out back here. And the problem is, you'll never get, you'll never get beyond where you are today until you're willing, willing to say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. Those disciples had to trust, those followers of Jesus had to trust Jesus in a place they'd never been, never thought would ever happen. They were looking at him to go to the throne and be there forever. And instead, his plan was to die. Trust in God and what's next. You, you may have, I mean, we, we've, we've all been through, I, I thought about as we celebrate today, that a year ago I was standing in this room with no chairs filled and a couple guys on the sound and on cameras as I preached to an empty room. I thought, I'm never doing that again on Easter, right? I'll go stand on the roof and we can all gather outside if we have to, but I'm not going to do that again. I, I, I'm just going to say this right now, that in the past year, some stuff could have happened in your life. Talking to somebody right now that, that, that the job that you were looking at that you thought was going to have a promotion and was going someplace, now things have slowed down and, and you don't know exactly what's happened or maybe even you received the notice that you're not, and you're not even there anymore. A person that had a business that your hopes were big and you, you, you planned and projected out the year and now it doesn't look anything like what you thought. The doctor report that somebody got that's not good and you're struggling with what it means and how do you step into next knowing what you know now? I don't tell you it's trusting in God. It, it's, it's, it's understanding this, that, that I've got to know to trust God in what's next not would it, what could have been, what I thought was going to happen. Secondly, it's the understanding part. Understanding the only way to totally accept resurrection is to totally accept death. And while resurrection is exciting, I mean, we're singing that song, that first song this morning. Was it the first one? Live! I almost jumped up and helped him. I mean, I'm like, come on right? Dead bones rattling and all that stuff. I'm like, yes. Resurrection is exciting. Death is good. We had good Friday service here good, this past Friday. Death is hard. It's maybe easy for us. We stand on this side of Calvary of Jesus' death and resurrection, look back, and we got a different view than those that, that during that time that looked at death, and it was painful, and it was hard. I believe his followers were having a difficult time processing the whole idea of him dying. Right, grieving's hard. Grieving is probably much harder when the guy that all your hope was placed in and that you thought was going to change not just your life, 
not just the people around you, but the entire world's life is now dead. But before they can ever get to resurrection, they've got to understand death. Our faith can't just be in the future. And we say, okay, it's all good. I got faith in the future. And somehow we leave our purposes trapped in the past. God has a purpose for your life. He's created you for something more than just existing on this planet. I love what 2 Corinthians in the Passion Translation, it says this in verse 15. He died, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Let me, let me stop right there. Let me just stop there for a moment because it's important that you understand. And I know it's Easter Sunday and you maybe wore something nice or you thought, hey, I'm, we're going we're gonna to go have lamb or ham or something later. You made the deviled eggs. It's a different kind of food on Resurrection Sunday, but they are good, aren't they? <laughs> Your mission is to devour, those, destroy those deviled eggs. I don't know. I don't know. But, 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 but you've got all the plan, family or friends, or maybe you're going to, uh, after this, kids are going to be out there finding eggs or candy or whatever. You're excited about that, and that's good. You're excited about being around some folks. And I know, so today when I say, when I say this, I know it's Easter Sunday, but just let me help, help you for a moment. Popular modern Christianity kind of presents this idea that very little is required of me. Well, here's, here's what's required of you. Come to Jesus just as you are. He opens, he opens, his arms are open wide. He's ready to receive you. But when you come to him, let me just be real with you, it's going to be a dying to self. Right? That's what he's talking about in this verse. He died, uh, he died for everyone so that those who receive his, this, his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. It's this idea that, that the, the old part of me that I've been living as is not really who God created me to be. Do you realize there's some people that will go 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years being something other than what God designed them to be? And one day when their eyes are open and they accept Christ in their life and things start changing that seems hard to die to self, when that starts happening and they step into the purpose that God has, they're like, wow, I wish I would have known this so much earlier in my life. I wish I had made that decision before now because of the beauty of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That when you, when you gave your life to Christ, the change that you've experienced, say yes if you're with me. Yeah, that, that it's, it's this beautiful. And isn't it weird that you could go through your entire life and live something other than what you were designed to live? So it says in verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. As human, we just did a series these past several weeks called Jesus Personified, this idea that of the man Christ Jesus. He was God in a literal person's body, and people could see him. Death is him as a man dying. How differently we know him now. He's resurrected. Verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It's, it's understanding this, that there's some stuff in my life that I may have thought was important, but when you come to Jesus, it's pretty unimportant to what, you, to what the, the main thing that God's called you to do. 
God has a whole new person in mind for you. And things in your life are going are gonna to die and, and pass away, and you're going to be excited when that happens. Thirdly, it's the embracing. The embracing that unmet expectation is the starting point of resurrection. It's the starting point, right? Their, their expectation, nowhere near what they expected. I mean, Jesus' followers everywhere scattered. Again, I said hiding, disbelief. What do we do with this? Is the resurrection, we now understand it's true news. Is it good news? Because we don't understand how this fits in the scenario of everything we've believed. And I think for some in this morning that you're in a place in life, maybe it's spiritually, because we're all on a spiritual journey. We know that, don't we? We're all traveling. Everybody on this planet's in a spiritual journey. You're on a spiritual journey. You're, gonna, you're not just existing in human flesh. There's a spiritual journey that's going to lead to an eternal destination. So you're on this planet. There's a spiritual journey. Sometimes we're not even aware that's happening. Sometimes we don't even know. And so maybe it's understanding, you know what? The unmet expectations in my life, I need, I need to make the shift and change and realize that because of Jesus' resurrection, there's a new beginning and a new starting point for me. For others of you, you come through this season of your life. Maybe it's a season we've been in for, for uh, over, a little over a year, or maybe it's just a season of being overwhelmed and in struggle in your life. Maybe it's a relationship that, that went sour, or maybe it's, maybe it's a financial place you're in. As I mentioned earlier, maybe it's health, and you're in a place, unmet expectation. You had this plan, this idea, and now you're, you're where you're at. And, and I just would help you, help you to see this, that today could be a new beginning for you. Today could be the starting point for what's coming. So, so I would ask you this question, what do you need to accept in this season? What is it that you need to accept in the season you're in right now? And, and I just believe this, that God has new strategies for the new season that you're in. For this season of your life, God has strategies. I love what it says in Isaiah 43, um, verse uh, 18 and 19. Stop dwelling on the past. Don't even remember these former things. I'm doing something brand new, something unheard of. Even now it sprouts and grows and matures. Don't you perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and open up flowing streams in the desert. That's what God says he's going to do for you. That's your promise right now that you can grab a hold of. That no matter what's been in the past, no matter how dead it may look, no matter how challenging it may be for you to accept that this could be the starting point of something new, God says, I'm doing a new thing. In fact, before you ever arrived here this morning, God's already working on the new thing for your life. He's already been in your tomorrows. I love, I love uh, eagles, not the rock group eagles. But eagles, the bird, the apex predator, right, eagles. I love, I, I love that when you look up, if you can see, anybody ever seen a bald eagle? Right, just so majestic and powerful and kind of just the way it, it is. And I've had a few opportunities to see those, those fly. And other, other birds that are, again, majestic. But the bald eagle, just, just the size and, the, and just the power that you see. Talons that could break your bones. You know, the, the, the beak of a, a bald eagle could just rip your flesh. And, and just the, the way they mount up. The Bible talks about it mounting up on eagle's wings. And the way they just climb to 
these incredible heights, and then they soar through the air. Just beauty. Beauty. And sometimes I'll read about eagles or I'll share a story about an eagle. I, I recently have been watching uh, this gentleman who, he is, uh, he is a uh, rescue, rescuer of these birds, eagles of all kinds, other birds, and, uh, and, and bald eagles. And bald eagles are pretty significant. You can't, you can't just take a bald eagle and, you know, you see a dead one or a hurt one and do something yourself. And, and you certainly can't keep it, right? It's, it's protected. In fact, if a bald eagle dies, it's, the entire eagle goes back to the federal government, and they use it to give to Native peoples the feathers and, 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 and the uh, eagle itself because it's so protected. And so this man, he has the credentials, and he, he gets calls to go. Uh, farmer will call. I'll give you the one instance that I'm going to share the story about. Farmer calls and says, hey, out in my field, there's this, there's this bald eagle that's been there. And it's been there for days, and it's just kind of kind of down, its head down, its wings kind of falling, and it just sits there. And um, somehow he got in contact and called this gentleman. So he comes out, and he comes out, and he gets the eagle. And uh, a bird that would normally fly away, you couldn't get close enough to get to it. A bird that if you did get close, it may hurt you. This man walks right up to it. It's not moving. He picks it up, holds its talons here. It lays back here. And... Uh, and then he takes it, puts it in, in a cage, takes it to a place where he's going to help it. That's what he does. And he'll, he'll take time opening its beak, feeding it liquids, medicine, li liquid medicine and medicine, and then trying to open its beak and feed it raw flesh, trying to get it back to health. His goal is to get it back to health so that it can be set free again and, and do what eagles do. Do, you know, do the majestic thing and the powerful thing. But this bird is going to die if somebody from the outside doesn't provide help for it. And so he's that person. He takes the bird, and, and, and then for, for week after week, he will, he will take the, this bird, and he'll feed it just like that, put the medicine in, give it the raw meat two or three times a day, an hour or more each time that he does this, just trying to care for this bird. Eventually, after a few weeks, this particular one he'll have for 60 days. Eventually, after a few weeks, he'll take that bird, and he'll be able to set it on a roost, and it'll sit there. And then eventually, it'll get strong enough that, that it's, it's, it's gaining its health. And when he goes in, it'll move away from him. He can no longer feed it. He can no longer hold it the way he was holding it. In fact, but, but when it finally gets to the point of health that he can return it to health, he has to go in with a net, the bird that he held, the bird that he fed, the bird that he cared for, now he has to go in with a net and capture the bird so that he can take it to its freedom. And instead of coming to him because he's offering help, it goes the other way. And if he gets too close, it's going to cause him harm. Unless, unless he uses protective gear and does this right, this bird is going to hurt him. Finally, he gets the bird. He takes it out to a place with several others. It's a, it's, a, it's a big, momentous occasion. People gather to see this, and they take this once sick, unhealthy. They believe it was lead poison. This bird that was filled with toxic, um, had toxicity and poison. He they take it, and they turn it loose, and it starts flapping its wings, and, and up in the air it goes, which you can see the video, and then it's just soaring over the mountain, around the mountains, over the snow, just beautiful. Did you know that's, that's a lot like where we were? That's why God, outside of us, we couldn't help ourselves. We had this sin poison in our life. 
We were toxic with the sin that was in our life. And God sent his son, I said earlier, with outstretched arms to take us, to give us health, safety, freedom in him. And what we do sometimes is we fight and run the other way. What we do sometimes is we get alarmed and disturbed because of the idea that God wants to be in our life when all along God says, I see a picture of you soaring to heights that you've never, ever been. I see a picture of you powerful. I see a picture of you going to places where others look and and desire where you are. And instead we run the other way. We fight God. We push against him. And God said, I love you so much I sent my my best, heaven's best, my only son, so that you could have, so that you could have life. 